Go ahead and introduce yourself. So my name is Shira Albert. I am, oh, it's hard to even talk about like so open topic, but I am a nurse practitioner. I've been a nurse practitioner for probably about six years now. Um, I also have a real, real estate investment firm uh, that I've had for about three years now. I live in Washington state. Um, I originally, I'm originally from Los Angeles uh, or California, Southern California. And I moved to Washington state about four years ago to you know, have a little bit more life balance between my family. I'm married. I have three kids. Um, my youngest is 16 months. My middle's four and my oldest is seven. So I'm in the thick of it, of everything. <laughs> I, I understand completely. Uh, I'm just ugh, every day. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me like what your experience was as an RN and getting into becoming an NP. Sure. So um, I actually started, I think, early in medicine at 15. I started as a, what is it called? Where you ride along with ambulances. They had like these programs where you can either ride along with sheriff or ambulance. And I was like, oh, law enforcement, not my thing. Ambulance sounds cool, right? So I ran uh, calls with staff and we would, I, it just really piqued my interest in medicine. And I was like, wow, this is really interesting. So after I graduated from high school, I worked there for a couple of years while I was going to nursing school. And um, it's kind of funny how I even chose nursing is I really wasn't sure exactly what I was going to do. And one of my friends had said, hey, do you know that you could become a nurse, travel, and they'll pay you your salary and for somewhere for you to live? And this is how you can go see, see the world or see like, you know, the United States at least. And I was like, what? And I researched it a little bit and I was like, I signed up for chemistry like the next like the next semester. I was like, okay, I can do that. I can do that for a while. So I graduated um, with my AA in 2006. I worked for a couple of years. I uh, started at a trauma center. I wanted to work ER. That's all I've ever wanted to work. I never was interested in med surge or tele or anything, ICU, none of it. And everybody's like, well, you should do med surge. I don't want to do med surge. I just want to do ER. This is what I went to school for. This is what I'm going to do. So I started at LAC USC, which is a trauma center in Los Angeles. It was crazy. It was um, a lot of good experience, but it was definitely very stressful, you know, to be so, so new and green and realize that the learning curve for nursing is so steep for the first couple of years. And all I could think was like, I just don't want to kill anybody. Oh my God. I just don't want to kill anybody. Like, please don't let me like whatever happened, please just, I, I just don't want to kill anybody. And, um, having that stress day in and day out and day in, day out. So um, after about two years there, I started to travel. I traveled to Boston for about a year and then traveled back to California. And while I was waiting to kind of figure out what I was going to do, um, I actually got a staff job at Kaiser and stayed there and was like, okay, I guess I'll get my bachelor's. So I got my bachelor's and I was probably, yeah, about six years after being a bedside nurse, because I really feel like after about five years, you start to understand what comfort is. Like when things come in, you're not freaked out. You know, you can see at that point where you're stepping back and you're like, oh, I need you for this. I need you for this. Can you please get me this? You're really in the mode of, of running a team. You can do that. You know, people can depend on you. You're able to take that step back and really not be caught in the tunnel vision that you used to be. So I realized that was a really great time for me to uh, get my bachelor's. Probably about a year after I got my bachelor's, I then got my master's. That was about 2014. So I've been a nurse practitioner since then. I love it. It's just, it, it's different. It is different when the decision ends with you. Um, I had to go back to the ER that I worked at and apologize to all the doctors that I gave side eye every time they made me do something or all the like sass that I gave them every time they asked me to repeat a blood pressure to just hold the patient a little bit longer, you know, just because it, it, when it falls on you, the way you look at medicine is completely different. And um, it's just been a great, it's a great job because I love people. Kind of like how we talked earlier, I love people. Uh, it doesn't bother me to care for them. It's not, my sister says, oh, well, I don't want to wipe butts. And I was like, sure, if you think that's all we do, then maybe it's just not the job for you. But I don't mind being there for people to help them work through stuff, to be there, to hold their hand, to cry with them, to help them work through how complicated your body is, how complicated medicine is, and how complicated disease is. So it's always something that I do, I do feel passionate about the type of people that are in nursing have to be open to that and being there for other people's journey.
more than anything. That's pretty much it. Yeah. Oh, and I basically, after MP for a couple of years at urgent care, I moved up to Washington and I've been working in the express care since then. So first the travel, I have not traveled at all. I'm like, for me, I'm like saving it for the end. <laughs> I'm exactly. retired. I am jealous of it because, um, you got to see stuff, but at the same point, I'm very, so I did message and I'm very type A. <laughs> and so yeah. the thing I liked about it was just because it's like stable. I mean, not, but it's the most stable part of any of the floors you're going to be on um, versus my very first episode on the podcast with my aunt and she did ER and she mm-hmm. is organized chaos as we call her. Oh, I love her. Um, <laughs> and I'm, yeah so like ER is like her jam I'm that that stresses me out the turnover I'm like no I just want to get oh, in yeah. and get organized <laughs> no I love it I like I want to be done as soon as you start getting grumpy I want to be done as soon as like the excitement's over I want to be done like that was fun so glad we could be here together you know and but go ahead now the stabilizing happens and yeah it's definitely chaos and you have to be comfortable in the chaos and I don't mind it I love it and LA you probably saw a lot of stuff in Mm -hmm. ER yeah that's probably like a good place to be we used to I remember thinking when I first started at LAC USC that they train the Navy medics before they go to the battlefield and I was like they're training the Navy medics here before they go to the battlefield like we are working in the bat this is your everyday battlefield right you know so it's yeah it's it's not for the organized for sure. Cause I think one of my first days there, I asked for a cotton ball and somebody laughed at me. So you make it work with whatever you have right by you. That's it. That's, that's ER. Just make it work. I'm going to tape this together and it's going to make sense. You guys are full, full practice up there. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I'm so yeah. jealous. So <laughs> what is it like up there um, compared to like, the craziness of Los Angeles and just like the general population? I know nothing really about there other than right. the full practice. And it rains. <laughs> yeah, it, it does. Well, and I actually moved not to Seattle, where most people connect Washington State. And it's definitely a lot more liberal and uh, fast paced in that city. I moved to Spokane, which is about five and a half hours like southeast from Seattle. So it's actually a smaller town and not a lot of Black people here, which is always sad, um, you know. And uh, I remember telling my husband, I was like, I just don't want to be the only black person that my kids know, you know, and uh, and it's growing, but it's just different. I mean, as far as medicine, I've actually, it's interesting because what I realize here is as far as people and their health, um, the co-pays I think are much heavier. And I don't know if that has to do with like Medi-Cal or Medicare or whatever the difference is state to state, but I try to send people to the hospital all the time and they won't go. I can't like in California, you'd be like, oh, I can't walk. I need an ambulance. Oh, I can't do that. I need an ambulance. And people just go like, it wouldn't even be a fight. They would actually tell you, no, I need to go an ambulance. And here I'm like, you know, your heart rate's out of control. This is it. Can we just get you an ambulance? And they're just like, nope, too expensive. Sorry. And they are adamant about driving themselves. And I'm like, wow, that's so interesting. I've, um, I've never really thought about it. It it just seems kind of unnatural because I'm like, are you sure? Like, you know, your insurance will most likely cover this ambulance, but for them, it's the copays are heavy. And, you know, it gives you a, a different understanding of, you know, the choices that people have to make in medicine. And you need to respect these real choices of, of debt that they can't, they can't accommodate in their lives. And so you just try to do everything and anything you can for them. And um, as far as I don't work private practice because I, I I haven't really wanted to deal with insurance companies. We've kind of gotten to a weird point with insurance companies that even if people need the treatment, they will still deny it. And I just like, I feel like that's so disheartening to, you know, medical providers who are trying to care for people the best they can and knowing you know, um, I think I had something the other day, some medication that I prescribed for them where they just refused to refill it. And it was something like completely necessary, like a steroid or something they just refused. And I was like, so I've, I've kind of been, I have a lot of patients who are like, do you want to be my, my primary care? And I was like, I, I can't with insurance companies. I just can't. Like, this is not why I got into medicine. Yes, to help people, but not to just argue with insurance companies on procedures, on imaging on 
things that honestly people need and it's medicine has got to change, you know, where we're not being driven by insurance companies for people to start making that jump back into primary care. Yeah, I have my own practice. And so I don't deal with insurance and it's, Mm -hmm. it's very freeing because I don't have to even think about it, but I, I worked primary care for three years and it was a little bit different environment because they were employee, like an employee on clinic. So everything was free unless it went somewhere else or insurance. So it was a little bit different dealing with them, but I mean, same thing. And just the PAs and like arguing about like, why do they need this? And, mm-hmm. and I just started telling people, I'm like, you know, even for like scans, I'm like, you're going to have to get an x-ray first and then a CT and then an MRI to finally right. get to the MRI that you need because they don't want to pay it unless you do all that. I tell people all the time, I'm like, I'll submit anything pretty much because it's not going to come down to me. It's going to come mm-hmm. down to the insurance and I don't want them to say, oh, well, she didn't order it. I'm like, nope, I'll order anything. And then we'll see what they say because they deny stuff. Oh yeah. Over and over. So you said you're in Indiana and you work private practice. So, or you, well, you have your I own have, practice. Yes. Yeah. So I do a couple of different things. Um, I have a part-time clinic. It's been open a year tomorrow. And happy anniversary. Um, thank you. <laughs> I do medical weight loss, hormone therapy for men and women, IV hydration, vitamin replacement, and a little Botox. I'm trying to expand on the aesthetics and none of that, maybe the vitamin replacement would be covered. Um, you know, I have some like diabetic patients who probably could get some of the medicine covered, but even still the copay is really high. So I mm-hmm. just don't even deal with it. I'm cash pay. I always tell them you can submit a claim, um, but most of the stuff I offer is not covered, and, and I don't have the time or the resources to do PAs and get denied and not yep. get paid for six months because I'm taking insurance and yep. I just don't deal with it. So sad. So I I was looking into medical weight loss for a while, and then you know you just have to focus your energy into something. And I was like, oh, I like real estate a little bit more. Like I don't know how much I can. I mean, because I love. Who doesn't love weight loss? Like we're all striving for it all the time. Like it's just never out of style. I don't know. It's for the, it's for a few. So I love that you're already doing it and hormone replacement therapy. I think that's fantastic. Cause I, I think like, honestly, as far as hormones go, there should be like a specialty just with women that are perimenopausal, like building up that kind of middle portion of practitioners who are just caring for women who are uh, menopausal. So that's, I love that too. Yeah. I see a lot. I see a lot of women that come in um, either menopausal symptoms or PCOS, which a lot of is tied into insulin resistance and the weight. Um, Mm -hmm. So it all kinds of ties together. I'm actually doing a health fair on the 1st of April and it's a women's health fair. Um, So I'll be talking about PCOS. Um, But yeah, I'm, I live in a smaller, um, it's a college city, but no one offers any of the services I offer here, except for like Botox, you can get that, but no one offers my services. So um, they were pretty much all driving an hour to at least an hour from my city. And then from like, if you go north, south or east of me, it's all like rural. So they were driving even further, like men going to get testosterone, um, hormone therapy or weight loss or IVs, um, because that's still kind of new. So they were all driving an hour or more to do those things. Oh, well, I'm glad they needed you. See, it was meant to happen. <laughs> they needed you. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad. I'm like, I kind of jumped in there. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna take over. So um, let's get into the real estate business because that, that's why we're here. So how did you get into that? And what have you done with that? Sure, absolutely. So um, I love real estate. And <laughs> I don't know if it's like, Real estate's kind of like a double-edged sword right now. People either love it or hate it, you know. Um, so I started with a single-family home and rental when I was still in California, right before we moved to uh, Washington. And I've just always, my mom's a realtor, so I've been around real estate my entire life. I just never really saw the value in it until I had um, a house and then a rental and saw the cash flow and the equity and building wealth. Because I, I think that's really what we don't talk about a lot in our community, the black community specifically is a, we don't discuss building wealth and building generational wealth. Generational wealth. That's you my know, dad's and, like favorite words. Oh, good. I love your dad already <laughs> because this, this is just not a conversation that's had. Um, my husband and I always laugh about um, our 401ks are only set up because one of our white friends decided to do it in the nursing station. 
when we had both been there about like four or five years or no, we've been there about two or three years. And somebody just happened to open up, you know, Vanguard and was like, hey, this is your 401k. This is what you do. Are you guys putting money in? And we're like, you're what? What is this? You know, and he helped us that day. And it was like, wow, if we wouldn't have had <clears throat> that opportunity, then we would have never known about it. And um, I started to research more um, about investments because I didn't want to be a realtor, but I did want to grow a portfolio. And so I started to really um, kind of put a lot of research and time and energy into it. And then around that time, I was thinking about moving and my best friend was like, you can move to Spokane and you can invest in real estate there. And it's cheaper than Los Angeles. So we end up selling our um, home and our rental, moving to Spokane and then buying um, our primary home and another home. And so having a rental. And at this time I was pregnant with my third child and I was really wanting to scale. But when you do it single family home, it is a lot of work. There's a lot of like time and energy that goes into it. And I realized that I wanted to scale, but I didn't want to have to do it one home at a time. When I started to calculate what kind of passive income I would need to create to match my salary, because, you know, when you're a nurse practitioner, it's really hard to offset that. You know, you get really stuck in what they call, you know, the golden handcuffs is you make enough money for this, but you haven't really found out how to kind of keep reoccurring income coming. And so... I realized that it would take, you know, like 30 houses, 30 single family homes with, you know, a certain amount of income, like me at least 500,000 or $500 a month, which was going to take so much energy to get. Cause most of them were maybe $200, $300. It was going to be so much money down, like just so much stuff that was going to take. And if I tried to do fourplexes, it was going to be, you know, like 16 fourplexes, you know, just the numbers were just exponential for me to grow versus investing in a large complex, like 100 plus, that would get me to the amount of doors that I needed with the cash flow um, much faster. And then, you know, it's also the fact that you can, you get to invest, because nobody talks about this, you get to invest without really having to put the, the work or the headache into it of landlord. Because it's, when you go to 100 units plus, it's managed by a property management company. And my company manages the property management company to make sure everything works out. So it's a way different way to invest because you're stepping back again, kind of like as a nurse, you know, once you get to that certain point, you start being able to step back and work as a team and realize you don't have to do everything yourself. You can invest in real estate and you don't have to be the one finding the deals, marketing the deals, finding the contractors. There's entire companies that do this for you, especially when you hit hundred units plus. And I realized that was just what I wanted to put my energy and time into because I wanted to grow exponentially. Like I want to continue to grow. I want my family to have access to these deals. I want my community to have access to these deals. And it's very rare to find people that look like you that have the same background and struggles that you have that are willing to open up these opportunities to you. So I wanted to be that person. And that's what I do with my real estate investment firm is really focusing on nurses. Like, I feel like we just don't plan well. We're not taught to plan well. And we just need to like really start these conversations way sooner than they're actually happening. Yeah, I think you just blew my mind up. So <laughs> you said so many things. I was like, yes. So yeah, so my my dad and my stepmom are always talking about generational wealth. The funny thing is, I, I don't know enough about real estate, but my dad literally has several rental properties. Mm-hmm. And um, he actually is in the process of doing um, some work with like a construction. Well, he has a construction company with a factory. Like he has like a whole like plan and he tells me about it. But for me, I was like, okay, I'm not ever, that's nothing to do with me, but I guess it could have a lot to do with me. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, he's got all of us kids. Like every time he buys a house, he puts it in somebody else's, like one of our names or puts us on Aww. it. I love that. <laughs> yeah. So that he's like planning. So yeah, they're very like, we're very big on it. So luckily I do have parents and my, and my mom too is um, like very good with all that stuff. So I do have parents who have taught me that, but yes, like you said, we are not taught that, or we don't plan for that. I mean, just like, I mean, it's different life insurance, but I mean, I'm so tired of seeing people die and they're like doing GoFundMes. I'm like, yeah, we no. have got to do better as a community. Life insurance is such a big deal. And nobody told me about it. Nobody told me like, Hey, there's a way that your family can be taken care of if you drop dead tomorrow or somebody dies in a car crash. Like it doesn't have to just be, you just, whatever you had in the bank, that's it and figure it out. You know, and especially when you're kind of 
not the breadwinner, but I make the higher income, you know, that's going to traumatize my family, not even just emotionally, but financially, it's going to devastate them. And it took me (laughs) such a long time. Actually, I was doing Dave Ramsey's when I was like, Dave Ramsey and the like, what is it called? Is it the total money makeover? And he actually mentioned about doing I was 26 and he mentioned about a term life insurance and I was like, okay. So I like followed the book and I like did a term randomly did a term life insurance for like a million dollar policy when I was 26 for like 40 years or something like that. And I was like, wow, thank God I did that too. Like so many things that you just happen to, you know, we should create more opportunity for these discussions to happen versus like, oh, if I stumble upon it, if I happen to read it or if I'm following somebody that talks about it, then I know about it and I research it it has to be like your parents, you know, buying houses, putting your name on it. So you understand this is what I'm supposed to be doing. These are the bigger goals that I'm, I'm working for. So I think that's fantastic. I love, I love your family already. Ask them if they need another daughter because I'm in it. <laughs> I will. Yeah, no, I, I, I love that. And then, so I have a rental property and mm-hmm. so I, my, I bought my first house right before I graduated from my RN program, it was a foreclosure. So it was only like 26,000. My grandpa paid for it. Um, and I got like a equity loan to fix it up. Mm-hmm. And so I lived there until I lived there for like four years. Um, and then we just bought a new house in 2019. And so I started renting that out, which has been a pain <laughs> yeah. because I just had a horrible situation with renters leaving. So I'm um, actually, I just did some um, renovations. Like my dad's company did the floors. And so I do have that and it is on my mind to do more, but mm-hmm. like you said, it is a headache being the mm-hmm. landlord and uh, how do I get the money to do that? And where do I, I go about that? So like all the stuff you said, I was like, Oh, okay. Thinking about yeah. myself. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's very relevant because there's just different ways that you can do it. There's ways that you can have a 401k, um, a self-directed one or self-directed IRA. You can take that money and be investing continuously in what they, I mean, they're basically called syndications. So you're continuously investing in large complex deals and just watching your money double, you know, every five, six years and then continuing to invest and just investing it and kind of like the setting and forgetting. You're checking the validity of the deal. You're checking the operator, but then once it's going in the process, you're, they keep you updated on the plan. And this, that's as far as you need to get your hands dirty in the whole thing. And it's just, it's kind of like, why <laughs> it's a, it's a better way. And especially for people who are in areas that they can't afford to necessarily buy homes like Los Angeles, this is a great opportunity to take that maybe $50,000 down payment that you can't use right now because you just don't have any options and you can either buy a small multifamily or invest it in a syndication. You know, if you're not ready to settle down, if you don't know where you're going to want to buy your house or where you're going to be, put it in there, have it growing, you know, and come out with consistency and doubling your money in five to six years. Like these are different ways to kind of ebb and flow. You don't have to buy a house right now. You don't have to be in the single family home market. You don't have to do it. Maybe you want to be condo life. And that's something that you'll do later when you figure out where you want to live. And what city, like, it's just, you know, we have, it has to start growing now so that you're getting that passive income. So to, to do a comparison. So again, I'm in Indiana. So here, well, everything's high now, but I guess, so a three bedroom, two bath is probably, I mean, I've seen them at a hundred thousand. We'll say a 100 to 150 range. Is that comparable mm-hmm. out there? What's and it like again? for you? Yes. Oh. Now, I'm going to come look at houses in Indiana. Since you're there, you're going to be my boots on the ground. So right now, Spokane, it was like one of the top 10 cities to move to because it's on the West Coast. And um, and we get sunshine and snow and we get like the four seasons and not as much rain. But I mean, it just snowed like four inches yesterday. So um, and it's just a really growing area. I would say the average house right now is at least 350. And it's interesting because if you probably rewinded back five years, you would find them about a hundred thousand, you know? So there's just a lot of people that the story here is that a lot of Californians came in, you know, which I think was a lot of areas, but came in, bought houses, cash. So the values just all kind of skyrocketed, which 
it did kind of price out a lot of people who work here, who've lived here their entire lives, who make, you know, $15, $16 an hour. And so um, now we're starting to see it drop a little bit, which is really nice. But it the average, I would say, is probably about $350. Um, yeah, $350, almost $400, depending on, wow. on the area that you're trying to move in. You know, you may find some middle twos to two to threes, but those go pretty quickly. I, I think Indiana's a trap. So for me, it is because I feel like I cannot move anywhere because the mm-hmm. pricing. I mean, like even so the house <laughs> that I bought is it's a four bedroom, three bath. It's like just shy of 3000 square feet. And it mm-hmm. was 235 when I got mm-hmm. it. Um, I'm sure now it probably might be three, but I'm interested. And I, and my, like, I have huge yard. Like I've, mm-hmm. I have a lot of space. So anytime I think about even thinking about moving to another state, I don't know that I could because I can't afford to do that. Yeah. It's uh well, I'm going to have to look in Indiana. What's the weather like over there, by the way? <laughs> it's the exact same as you guys. I thought, well, okay. I don't know what's going on this year. I can't complain because I actually mm-hmm. don't like winter, but it is like 50 today, 69 tomorrow. And then it was like 37 last week. We do get all four seasons. However, it is not looking like normal. I mean, we get snow, we get spring, you, we get summer. Do you get humidity? That's the big yes. thing. See, yeah. we don't have humid summers here. So it's that's one very like. humid. I, yeah. I despise that. I mean, I don't like winter, but it is get, it does get very humid um, here. So that's, that's the bad part. That's a downfall, but you know, hey, it's probably great for rental properties. So I'm gonna I'm gonna be shooting you some emails and be like looking over there and be like, what's this neighborhood like? Tell me about it. <laughs> I I think like um I've really grown in the past year or so to realize like I do want to start investing in our communities because I, I do think um a lot of the conversations that I have when you're talking about apartments are like A, B are the really good class and C and D are the horrible class. So it's actually like B and C right now are ones where people are like, oh, people are just horrible and they wreck things and I'm like well these are like traditionally like black neighborhoods you know black and brown neighborhoods these are kind of neighborhoods that we're talking about and it's like I don't know if that's the true dialogue I don't think that's really what's happening I think there's people that work really hard and want just a stable safe place to live and want just don't they don't want um what's it called slumlords you know like if you're investing in a community that is which I don't know if you've heard of Lisa Phillips she's like amazing she talks about you know growing uh, generational real estate wealth by investing in you know cheaper houses like 50,000 40,000 doing the work and then renting them to long-term people who know that you're not going to raise the rents you know $200 every single month or every single year because it's going to displace them and I I was telling my husband about it I was like this is just this is more of a conversation because I think these neighborhoods are being left out you know, they're, they're not being addressed. There's not even small incremental movements that are, are being created to bring them up to, to have better stability. So um, I'm really kind of looking into those neighborhoods as well as residential assisted living. I think those are fantastic because we need to start giving back to community. We need to create places where people can age in place because it's coming. It's coming everywhere. <laughs> we need it. So yeah, we see a lot of that here. So um, I feel like they're neglected, neglected until they're so poor that we get a lot, especially where I live, a lot of out of town investment companies come in and buy up all the property. Um, my grandfather owns a barber shop and he has for like 60 years and he's been trying to get the, there's like these grass lots next to it for years. And I want to say the guy got each one of them for like a hundred dollars and tried to sell them to him for 3000. And he's like, the company's like out of New Jersey or something. And Mm -hmm. that's what's happening now is like basically in the city, you know, our Northwest side is the only side that's been cared for for a very long time because that's where our university is. That's where most of the businesses are. And they've just like for so long had let the other sides of town just drop off. We also have a lot of trains. And so there are no trains that go through the Northwest side of town, but all throughout the rest. And we get trains like every 30 minutes. It's bad here. They even stop sometimes for hours and they will block off the host. It's, it's unreal. But so those sides of town were neglected. And then it's like, then all of a sudden in our name, especially our, our black and brown neighborhoods, they come in and buy this up and Mm -hmm. they're getting the stuff for dirt cheap gentrification, flipping Mm -hmm. the houses and 
then everything's skyrocketing. So like my grandparents' house, like I will never let that sit. I don't believe in selling any of that Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, I want us to have our community. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And this like flip and just skyrocket the prices is I was talking to my mother-in-law because she's uh, retiring this year and she's lived in the same building in California. And it was one of the nurses that owned it for like over 10 years. And it's been $1,200 for 10 years. Now this lady could boot her out, get $2,200 easily, but she knows like it's close to her job. She doesn't have to drive. You know, she just knows like this need is here. And I'm was telling my mother-in-law, I was like, this is what we need to be investing in is that same opportunity because my husband's Hispanic and I'm like, there's Spanish speaking communities where people are like, we don't care if all the migrants don't have anywhere to live. You know, and it's like, they're just looking for a place to raise their kids. You know what I mean? They may never have the opportunity to buy something. So why not create a great neighborhood? It's just, it's never ending with real estate, you know, and, and trying to like forge your way in real estate and not forget where you came from is one of the harder things, I think. So uh, as, as a Black woman, how was getting into that business and that field? I think it's still difficult. I speak with other Black women that are farther along than I am. And I had one uh, conversation where I was like, is it me or do you feel like people are less likely to partner with you, to offer opportunity to you, or even just, you know, kind of, I guess, deal with you in a whole? Because I I feel like it's being Black, like a Black woman is the most disenfranchised. Like, Nobody like you're not only are you woman, but you're black woman. You're a black woman. And if you're even remotely confident in anything, then you're aggressive and you're intimidating. I had somebody told me that a coworker actually told me the other day, oh, you're much more intimidating than I am. So it's great that 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 you got this like person acting out. And I just was like, I didn't do anything. There's no reason that you should feel I'm more intimidating, but it is. And then in a like a community where you're the only black real estate person that's doing anything specifically in commercial side you just meet people that are like you know you know still and it's just something that I think just has to become more normalized as more and more black people in this space in this community building that wealth you know having those conversations because um it is it's hard it's really hard but eh we're, we're built for it. So <laughs> we're built for it. You know, that challenge. We are, but I just, I, I literally today had the same thing. So I just said, I rent commercially and I'm looking for a new space. I wanted to buy um, a, a place or at least like some land and it's not going the way, um, the way I wanted it to. So I found a spot. I sent a letter of intent. They said, oh, we just need like some financials. So I sent my profit and loss, which again, I've been open a year tomorrow and I did really, I mean, I made over a hundred thousand last year. So they, they email back today and they say, um, this is going to be, so it's a bigger space. And I'm, I was in, I'm in 500 square foot now and it's like double that. So they're like, well, this rent will be like double or more of what she's paying now. How does she expect to increase her cash flow? Because it's a legitimate concern. What? It's a bigger I, space, what? so I'm gonna double the amount of people I can see. Are you serious? Right. I and mind you, I'm only open three days a week. So I'm only open three days a week. I made over a hundred thousand dollars last year in my first year, which I'm like, okay, so the rent that I'm like, I would only need to make twenty thousand dollars to cover the rent. I made more than four times that last year. I'm like, what is the concern? So they they should have just said the concern is that you're black. And we just, yeah, I said, you know, cause the money's there. <laughs> right. I said, I, this feels racially motivated. Cause I, I emailed back and I sent, I sent a month to month breakdown. And I said, well, for the last six months, I've grossed over 10,000 a month at least. So mm-hmm. I'm more than, I mean, how many times the rent do I need to show that I have, or how much money do I need to have made last year to prove my worth? Yeah. And it, it's definitely like the point of like having those aggressive conversations of like I'm not gonna let you bully me into this into saying oh it's okay let me let me prove to you no show me what your other tenants are on show me you know I literally said I'm gonna go knock on the doors like how much are you bringing in exactly Mm -hmm. 
show me anybody there that's making over a hundred thousand dollars with three days being open three days a week show me yeah and they were asking like am i still employed somewhere else why would i have to be right you know it's just another reason for people to tell you no when you're self-employed so I feel like that's the one thing that's kind of kept me back is, you know, a benefits, you know, with my kids. I was like, okay, so I really need, you know, benefits. And, you know, it's also great to have a W-2, just it is less headache when you're doing things like this. But man, it's, you just have to overly prove yourself, you know, overly yeah. all the time. Yeah, so. I was, I've like been frustrated all day about it, but <laughs> I just, and I do work still. Um, and I, I get the intimidate, like I have a horrible, like resting face, but I, like I teach students. So I, they'll do checkoffs, like competency, it's nursing student. I literally sit there. I don't say one word. I'm just sitting there. And they're like, well, Dominus is just so intimidating. What did I do? What? I just sat there. I just sat there and watched you do your stuff. And then at mm-hmm. the end, I'll tell you, you know, how you did. I'm like, I literally, they act like I'm beating on them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, nothing you do, nothing that you actually do is what makes you intimidating. It is truly just just how you walk into a room because you're black. Like I actually, when I was pregnant with my daughter, this this thought went through my head and it still makes me tear up because I this like I said, it's a very white town. I was looking in my closet. It's my first appointment with my OB, my new OB, and all I could think was like, what color could I wear? What color shirt could I wear that would make me feel less intimidating? And I like start crying, right? And I'm like, ah! and my husband's like, what? And I was like, I have to sit here and figure out what color of pink or white or green is appropriate for me to walk into an office of people that don't even know me, that I've not even done anything to, to make them know that I am a safe person. You know what I mean? And this is like the conversation that I'm having with myself when I'm the one that's pregnant. Like, how can I translate to these people that I am safe for them? Because I am like, because there's no other reason to think I'm not, you know, like if my hair is pulled back in a bun, am I more dangerous? If I got braids, you don't understand me anymore. You know, I'm not clear. And it's, it's just, this is, I, I actually have been doing some posts and I'm, I'm going to do a series called, no, it's not you. This shit really happens because you really do feel these things. Like a coworker telling you that you're, you know, more intimidating for no reason like that really does happen or that you aren't considered for advancement in roles or in real estate, you're not considered on deals. Nobody wants to partner with you. Nobody reaches out to engage because you're not male and you're black. That is the only reason. And then if you're not typical, what, what society finds to be pretty, you really get even less acknowledgement. People are like, Oh, you didn't, you didn't, you're not Rihanna. You don't look like Rihanna. Well, she's the black girl that we accept. You know, <laughs> she yes. is. Still all of that. I really do. Um, and I know like, I'll, even outside nursing, I know real estate is like a very hard game. And um, especially when you're talking money, big money. Mm-hmm. And I know the rooms that you're in. And so I, I, I struggle so hard because I am very, <laughs> this is why my children are like this. I'm very stubborn. And I don't, I like refuse to conform. And so mm-hmm. I know that I, I'm my dad's always like, just play the game. I don't want to play the game. Mm-hmm. I don't want to. I don't, nope. I don't, like, I'm so, I, I want to take my opportunity to tell you about yourself every time. And it's really bad right. because it's like, okay, just shut up and just shut up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so do the hard. Dance. Do the dance. But I mean, I think there's also a sense of like, I don't really subscribe to making it easier for people that are honestly intimidated by me. Like, I just really don't, I don't understand if you're intimidated without me doing anything, then there's not really anything I could do anyway. I'm not going to coddle you. I'm not going to like talk extra nice to you and talk in a soft tone. Like I talk to my kids like this. I don't have a mom voice. I talk to my kids. Like, why are you knocking on my door like that? What is it that you need? Like, this is the, this is that everybody gets it. I am equal across all flo- like floors. I talk to everybody like that. I talk to my coworkers like that. Well, hey, if you were gonna do it, I talk to my patients like that because it's very honest. It's very real. I had one of my coworkers say, "You know, you're an authoritative. You're authoritative warmth." She's like, "You're very like specific and you're kind of like clear, but you're warm about it." And I'm like, "Yes, because I'm not trying to hurt people's feelings, but I am very direct. I'm extremely direct in." hey, I don't think this is right. I don't think this should have happened. Or you need to help 
you know, me understand why this is even happening, or I don't understand why you're talking to me like this, you know, not to be rude, I don't belittle people, but I also just don't feel like I'm going to play this game of where I need to be apologetic for who I am. And real estate has, has been a challenge for that. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I think you're great. I Thank like you. everything you, you as said. Well. You as well. And and there is, there's a community of us. And um, there's this book I'm reading right now by Seth Godin and it's about marketing. And it's specific, like the whole message of the book is like, quit trying to fit in with everyone. Find your group, find the people that you're, you're, um, that you resonate with, that you would want to be around, that you want to market to, that you want to do business with and focus on them. Let go everybody else that's not going to fit in that group. That's okay. You know, we just, we keep getting sold that we have to be attractive and personable and whatever to everybody. You don't. You just got to find the people that understand you, respect you, believe in you. And those are the people you focus your energy on. And other than that, let it go. I 100% agree. And I, I live by that. I tell my, me and my mom are the same person. Really me, my mom and my dad are the same people and they're not together. Like they, I, they never belong together because they are the exact same. And I'm the production of that. I don't know, but I, you know, like one of my things is I don't love small talk. When I'm on the elevator, like mm-hmm. I just want to ride up or like if I'm on the phone with the utility company, we don't have to talk. And then my grandma will be like, well, I mean, like it's rude. I'm like, who determined? Like, that's how I feel. Like you're making me uncomfortable by having small talk, but I'm wrong because you're uncomfortable that I don't want to have small talk. So it's like that same thing of finding those people that understand mm-hmm. you because I'm not being rude. I just, I don't know. We don't have to talk about the weather. Why are right. we talking about the weather? But I, I also think it's kind of accepting your differences and other people's because I am very direct and my husband is very indirect. And there's nothing wrong with either. I guess that's the conversation. There's nothing wrong with either. And you're not being rude when he like beats around the bush. He's not being rude. It just is like, we have to kind of learn how to ebb and flow and, and um, connect and communicate with people in different ways. I do understand that because like the directness, does, it doesn't work for everybody. And I've learned to kind of like maybe take a step back and say, oh, if this person is giving me a little small talk, this is what they need to feel a bit comfortable. I can do it. And I am not a small talk person at all. I just don't I don't see the purpose of it. I am, you know, like in the disc profile, I'm a D, like I just want to get direct, but um, there are people that operate that like that. And my husband's one of them. And I totally understand, like, this is like my give and take, like, oh, you know, hey, how was that? How are you feeling? Do you want to talk about it now? Like, did I offend you a little bit? You know, my poor husband, I love him, I love him to death because he gets the, I always told this, my other co-workers, like, dude, you'd never make it married to me. You seriously never make it. <laughs> you, We're living the same life because are. my fiance is. Yeah, you just have to take it. Like, my husband always thinks, like, sending food back is rude. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure they don't care. My husband's perfect for me because I get to design my life however we want. We're moving here, guys. It makes no sense. I know. Sorry about that. This is how we do it, guys. And it's just something he's super flexible. So it really doesn't matter to him, but I would be the one that would be super miserable if he had all the choice in it. So I realized, oh, he was doing me a favor. You put me in perspective. So yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be like, okay, it's because we need, because I would, we do. <laughs> I know I need him. He definitely balances me out. So um, yeah. that, that's just so funny. I feel like I just keep running and I keep running the more people that I feel are like me. I just, they're mm-hmm. not living around me. So the yeah. podcast is helping. <laughs> it is. Yeah. We're out there. Definitely. Definitely. So what is your business goal, whether like in this year or the next five years, where do you see yourself? Definitely building my brand and building more um, community understanding. In the next year, I definitely want to get probably about another I don't know, 200, 200 units or so, at least two to three deals this year in 2023 that I'd like to do. Um, and then I'm really in the next six months trying to trying to attain like about 40 key investors, people that are looking to invest their money that are like me, right? 40 people that I don't mind talking to, that I don't mind calling me, that can call me all the time and we can talk about it and work through their challenges, um, that... Um, I'm bringing the opportunities to, and we're just kind of continuously, you know, win-win situation, growing our wealth together, um, growing Shara investments, and then just kind of having more real conversations like this and really getting on more podcasts and just kind of talking more about this Black female path. I actually wanted to, I want to eventually start a, uh, 
conference. I'll probably have to do the podcast first, but I want it to be Black, Female, and Real Estate because I want to talk about everything Black, everything female, and everything real estate. So you're not just like, like you said, you're interested in a lot of stuff, but these are kind of the things, I think the biggest things that really surround my life right now. And so I like to talk about the Black female, the Black challenges, female challenges, as well as, you know, being Black and female in real estate or just real estate in general, some of the challenges. So that's kind of where I see the next five years growing for me. Well, I don't know if I'll be in real estate, but I definitely would be interested. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> I guess I am in real estate with my, with my rental and maybe it'll expand, but um, no, I, yeah, I think that's, I think that's great. I love us, like, I feel like a lot of nurses I saw were going into real estate or just non-nursing things, um, mm-hmm. and I really, um, I really love it. I think nursing is a great job. There's a lot of jobs out there, but it is hard work and it's tiring. And if you do it when you're 20 and right out of college, I mean, like, are you going to do that for the rest of your life? Or are you just, just Mm -hmm. going to do that for the rest of your life? And so seeing where you can go with it, um, and these other, um, non-connected things that we can do. I I love Mm -hmm. it. I I love all of it. Yeah. There's a lot of opportunity out there. I'm trying to maximize what I do. That's what I would say. I'm maximizing my potential. (laughs) (laughs) absolutely how are you balancing like you have three kids you have a husband you're doing real estate you're or the investment you're doing you're still practicing so Mm -hmm. how do you do all that um I think in the beginning stages of any business it's chaotic and that's okay like that's understandable so it will eventually get to a point where it's a little bit more manageable but I just really I mean the whole point of it is to get to a point financially where I am able to balance it more in the leaning of my family because I don't like to miss first days of school I don't like to miss you know basketball games or jujitsu or you know just evenings at home where I can just sit and cuddle you know with my kids so it it is a struggle sometimes um my son said yesterday or yesterday the day before I was I randomly off on a Sunday and he's like wow mom we never see you on Sundays and I was like uh like, don't say that to me. That like cuts my mom heart so deep. You know, he just makes note of those things. So it's a struggle, but it's also making sure that I'm having quality time with my husband, that we're going to events, you know, we're going out, like we're going to start going out, you know, shooting monthly and we're going out to dinner. And then my kids feel that they're valued and that their feelings are being listened to. So I don't think it's as it's not ideal when you first start because it is so much energy that you're putting into it, but I'm really trying to put a lot of systems in place. You know, that's kind of the bigger thing is making sure that things like I'm making regular calls and setting, you know, regular schedules so that it's more consistent. And then my life can grow around that as well. So putting a lot of systems in place um, to make sure that I am still meeting things, not just becoming like frantic and like losing everything. And I, I don't even know where I'm supposed to be going, like setting these incremental goals. Um, and then I can always keep track of like how I'm doing in those ways and where I need to step it up and manage it a little bit better. Just planning. I I, I love and hate it because it's like people ask me stuff. I'm like, you got to get on my schedule like a couple weeks <laughs> out. <laughs> so I feel like there's no spontaneity, but in my mind, I'm like, okay, I'm working towards a goal. I'm working towards a goal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One day, like you'll be able to do anything or everything because you've exactly. done it. So. Right. You put the 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 foundation work in. And so this is, I mean, you're going to sacrifice either way. You're either going to sacrifice, you know, maybe a year or two really bringing in the foundation, or you're going to sacrifice the rest of your life working somebody else's schedule and somebody else's idea of what they want your life to be because you haven't, you haven't invested in yourself in that way. So, you know, I think we, I think in my home, we kind of understand that, that this is all just temporary and it really kind of sparked with my daughter. Like I really wanted to, by the time she was three, I was like, I want to be like on my own schedule. So what would be your one piece of advice? Uh, I love this question um, because I think it's, I wrote a post about it and I haven't even posted it yet, but it's, it always like um, kind of resonates with me is I think we need to start working on retirement early and stop talking about retirement at 65. Like that really bothers me. I remember being 12 and then like 18 and being like, I want to retire at 35 and like not knowing what that meant or that that was an okay thing. It was okay to say, you know what, I want to get to a point where I am able to do what I choose, not necessarily stop working, but stop working on something that I may not be, stop working because I have to, but work because I want to. 
and work on passion projects and work on things that really motivate you and not just things that bring in a paycheck. So I think learning to save early that pay yourself first is such a big deal. Um, you know, literally like 10% of your check literally goes to things before you pay anything else. Let the credit card sit, <laughs> let them sit, pay the minimums, get your money, start getting passive income, like pay yourself, bring in your little stockpile of money for the things that are going to help you grow and reach um, what you need to. Um, so I think focusing on passive income, whichever you choose, if you like stock market, if you like real estate, if you like, you know, e-commerce or building your own business, like passive income, things that, you know, focusing early that you don't have to be there for them to make you money. Like that should be, like I say to my kids all the time, like, yeah, do things that make you money when you're not there. You know, conversations about being millionaires. You know, my, I told my son, like, yeah, we're going to be millionaires. He's like, what does that mean? I was like, good question. That means that we have more than enough money to do what we want when we want. Like that should be your focus and finding ways to make that happen. You know, these are the conversations that we need to start having and allowing people to realize you can retire. People retire all the time at 35. And all it means is that they no longer have to worry about their income, about where money's coming from. They've set in so many, they place so many systems that have reoccurring monthly income for them that it, they don't have to wake up whenever they don't want to. They can form, you know, a life that they choose. And that's a real opportunity. And I, I feel like this generation that's a little bit younger than me is really bringing this to the forefront is like, live your life how you want to live. You don't owe anybody anything. You know, if you want to have kids, have kids. If you don't, don't. If you want to travel all day long, travel, you know, like figure out how to do it as soon as you can, because working for somebody is never going to get you that ever. Yeah, I think this this upcoming um, like eighteen around that age um, generation, I think it's scaring corporate America because they have a problem because mm -hmm. like even me like I don't want to be the CEO. I don't want to work mm -hmm. eighty hours a week for you, and I just mm -hmm. want to be well off and comfortable. I don't. I mean, I do want to be a millionaire, but like I don't have to be a billionaire because I'm not greedy about it. And I don't want to be the boss. Like, I don't want the power and the control, which is like the old say, you know, you work, you work your nine to five or you work 60 hours a week and you climb the ladder and you get to the top. Nobody cares mm -hmm. about that anymore. Mm -hmm. We just want to be comfortable and live. And we are like, we know now, like they don't care about you. Mm -hmm. These jobs do not. They have, I mean, the they pandemic don't. showed us that if you didn't know it before and now like the way like wages are and expenses they realize that and it's not worth it. So I don't know what's, I don't know what's to come, but I think those people are scared. Corporate America is scared. It's like, it's not looking good. It's not. And it's, um, and I remember when COVID hit and I was like, a lot of people are going to leave medicine and leave medicine for good. Because even now that's the discussion is you still don't feel valued. We went through COVID. We did more than we ever should have, you know, nurses held it down. Oh my God. And it, the conversation still is just like, well, bring the table you know <laughs> it's kind of like what that's yeah that's not really happening. they learn nothing mm -hmm. they learn nothing like even travel nursing you don't even have to match travel nursing pay but if you would have just paid a little bit more to somewhere mm -hmm. in like a medium space you could have kept your good staff and not paid like the travel fees that you're paying now but they just refuse right. they just refuse because it's setting a precedent it's setting a precedent that they no longer want, want to have to acknowledge. And if you research it, there's so many times that hospitals are just formulating a budget expense of how they want to continue their profits, not because they have to, but because they choose to. You know what I mean? So it's not like they're in the red or this or that. No, you choose to work at this level. And this is what you want your numbers to be. So you refuse to look at the staff and say, hey, we're going to invest in you. You know, we're going to invest this money in you because we want you guys to stay. So if that conversation doesn't change, then now you have to, and since it hasn't, even in a pandemic, I think it's now like that, that conversation has to be inward. What makes you happy? You don't owe these companies that don't see your value anything. And it doesn't mean that you're any less quality of a nurse or that you don't care about the nursing field. It just means that for what I do and for the amount of, you know, emotional work I put in, in this job, I feel like I want to be valued. And if you can't see that, then I'm going to figure out how to do it on my own. They've gaslit nurses like, oh, you don't care about the patient. Like, yeah. no one ever said that. No one ever said that. But it's like this mm -hmm. gaslighting. So it is. Yeah, I'm sure. Because you're the problem, not us. Not, you know, and it's and then if 
corporate America wants to start fighting with insurance companies to lower, like, that's your battle. Figure it out. You know what I mean? If you want to keep these nurses, it's not the nurse's fault. It's not the medical providers. Pay them what we what we honestly deserve. You know, like make it somewhere that people want to stay. And I think, yeah, these younger generations, they are scaring the the crap out of corporate America because they're like, no, we want to work three days a week, but we want it to be eight hours. We want full benefits. We want vacations. I may dip in and dip out this and I want virtual. And it's like, yeah, these are the conversations that you're going to have. Otherwise you're, and you need to be flexible. You need to be flexible because that is, that is how the workforce is becoming is flexible. People are choosing to have less and live on less because they don't want to work by your corporate rules. So what are you going to just basically fade into the distance or are you going to bend you know and, right. and I think it's I think it's important for nurses to just start really taking financial um, control back and saying I don't have to work that because I have this money coming in that's fine that's cool this isn't meeting my needs this isn't meeting my family's needs it's not meeting my emotional needs thank you but I'm going to choose something else that does I'm going to find I'm going to work for somebody that has the same passion that I do you know yep I 100% agree. We have talked about a lot of stuff. I love it. I, I yeah. loved everything. It's been, <laughs> the conversation is great. So really? as far as like looking up your firm or, or you, is there any anything you want to like drop as far as socials? Sure. Yeah. Thank you so much. This has been an amazing conversation. It really is just like, girl, what's happening? What have been going on? You know, we're just catching up. I know. <laughs> it's all good. But uh, if you want to find out further about me it's shireinvestments.com you can just look me up s-h-i-r-a investments.com um, you can join my investor list if you're interested you can book a phone call with me if you have any more questions if you kind of want to hear more about that I also am on Instagram and social media or and uh, Facebook at Shire Investments or just Shira Albert as well is I believe my Facebook handle and I have a really great free ebook about apartment investing to kind of get you more into how it happens, what it means, why it's such a great avenue. And that's kind of it. You are listening to Medical Melanin, a podcast for all things medical. This is your host, Dr. Dominique Carey, family nurse practitioner, bringing you all kinds of things related to medicine, nursing practice, the professional field, and more. Hey everyone, you are listening to Medical Melanin, and this is your host, Dr. Dominique Carey. I know what you're thinking, real estate, what does that have to do with the medical field? But actually, real estate is becoming a very popular career jump for medical professionals looking to get out of medicine completely, or is a common field for those looking for a side job or something to supplement their income. I even technically have a real estate investment, and so it is a lot more popular than people would believe. So I'm very thankful to Shira for reaching out to me. She is a nurse practitioner in Washington State who is still practicing as a nurse practitioner, but is also in real estate. Not only is she in real estate at um, a minute level as far as landlords go, but she's really getting into those big real estate investment properties. And there are struggles that come with that. So I'm very excited for you guys to listen to this episode, get educated on the topic, and maybe you decide that this is something you're looking to do, whether you're a medical professional looking to find something new or just something to help supplement. So let's get into it. The more I do these episodes, the more I realize that there are so many people out there just like me. I have so many ideas and thoughts after talking with Shira. I already have a rental property. I would love to do more with that. It definitely has its challenges, but she just gives me so much inspiration to go big or go home. And also just talking with her about being a Black woman in that field. It's very similar to being a Black woman in the medical profession or any other field. And so 
I definitely feel her struggles with that. If you are interested in looking into what Shira does or talking with her more, you can find her on her socials. So she is on Facebook at Shira Albert. You can also check out her website, www.shirainvestments.com. And so I would definitely be interested in learning more. I definitely have already got on and signed up for the free ebook. And I want to talk to her more because it makes so much sense to do these big investment properties. And I feel like we see them so much popping up in our communities and we don't know how to be this one little person and get involved in that. And I definitely think there's so much more information out there that we need to get our hands on. So as always, continue to follow along with me in this podcast journey. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Rejuvenate Muncie, or you can check out the website www.rejuvenatemuncie.com where you can listen to the podcast or just look into more things that I do. Until next time, guys.